and welcome to the next episode of The Quantum Divide. Uh, I'm on my own again this week, but I'm very happy to be joined by Juan Marino from AWS. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. We've been building up to this for a while, and I think we've got some great topics on the table. Juan, you're a, a, a developer evangelist or a developer advocate for the quantum networking team at AWS. Let's start like we normally do. Give us a bit of an overview, who you are, what your role is. And we'll go from there. Sure thing. Yeah, both terms are okay. Developer advocate or technology evangelist. Uh, depending on who I talk to, I, I use one or, or the other. And I've been with the quantum uh, technologies team in AWS uh, for the past three years, both in quantum computing first and lately in the last year or so in the Center for Quantum Networking that is more focused on networks. But basically, I've been over 10 years with AWS overall. It's been half of my career in, in this company so far. <laughs> Fantastic. So how did you get into quantum? Yeah, that was, that's a bit of an unconventional path. For me, I'm curious in nature. I like to read and to, to learn new things. And in August 2020, AWS launched Amazon Bracket. That is the service for which we give access to various quantum computers to customers with a single development environment so they can test them and, and so on. And at the time, I was just basically checking around this new service, what it is about. I didn't know much about quantum computing or, or quantum mechanics whatsoever. And I started to get involved with it and, and learn it. And it was a good fit in the sense that, as you very well know, this is a, a very academic, in, in at, at the heart of it, at the core of it, is very academic environment. So it, it fit well for me to come and bridge that gap between the industry and the academy and try to explain these concepts to people that are not necessarily familiar with quantum mechanics and how quantum computing and how quantum networking works. So I started to col collaborate first informally with the team and then in a more formal way in, in the role that I do today. I think any kind of education and communication around quantum mechanics into an IT company is probably one of the most difficult jobs on the market right now. <laughs> <laughs> just because of the breadth and the depth of understanding that's needed. Right. Did, do you have a, how did you tackle that? I understand you've got a background in physics, right? But that's fairly recent. Did you do that in order to launch into this role? That's right. It, it's been in parallel, actually. My, my background is in something completely different. Uh, so I realized very early that this wouldn't be like, I don't know, learning Kubernetes or, or networking concepts, classical networking concepts. Uh, I really need a, a good foundation of the linear algebra and the, the theory behind it. Uh, you can work without it, uh, but if you really want to explain things to others in a way they can understand, it's better to build a good foundation. So in this case, I started to study physics a couple of years ago just to be able to level up my conversation with people that are uh, obviously a lot more knowledgeable than I am on this field and be that, I don't know, the voice of trust or credibility that probably AWS customers want when they are discussing a, such important project like this one. Very good. Hey, let's, you mentioned Bracket. Let's go on to AWS now a little bit. And yeah, everybody knows AWS, right? Your cloud services, your pay-as-you-go cloud services, the infrastructure, global infrastructure. But what about AWS getting into quantum in general? What can you say about that as, a, as an intro? Yeah, uh, so it's a little bit similar to 
a similar story that would happen with AWS first. Uh, people used to say pe Amazon is just selling books and, and now you guys are getting into the cloud and, and renting space for people to do computation. What is all that about? It, it's a similar journey in the sense that the, the easiest answer that I can give you is that customers are really asking for it. So that's why we want to go into this uh, space. There are certain um, advancements and uh, interesting fields of study in, in quantum computing that were starting to put together the first prototypes and very R&D-based quantum computers. And, and we wanted to be part of it and especially see how this could be useful for our customers. We build Amazon Bracket as a way to try to democratize the access to these computers and lower the entry barrier to for people to use them and, and change the, the typical payment method or payment model that is used in the industry to something more AWS-like in the pay-as-you-go. So customers can t try different types of computers and and decide whether they which one is better for them according to their experiments and, and try different things in a, in a pay-as-you-go model. Um, but since this is a very academic kind of uh, environment, we also started to participate actively in building our own quantum computer. We have a, a team at the Center for Quantum Computing based in Pasadena that is actually working in a superconducting loops uh, type of quantum computer to try to add that to the community and our own effort on putting a computer out there. That's besides bracket. And, and probably the, the other part that is important is the, the Quantum Solutions Lab that is our professional services team. And those guys, what they do is basically work with the problem of the customer backwards, trying to uh, build POCs that are quantum computing related. Sometimes they are also HPC related or, or even machine learning related problems, depending on the, the, the kind of um, goal that the customer wants to achieve. But they want to get the customers uh, quantum ready uh, in terms of quantum computing by the time these computers are ready and, and they focused on that. Um, and my favorite group is the one that I work right now, the Quantum Networks. The, the Center for Quantum Networking started over a year ago. What we do is basically investigate the potential integration of quantum networks in real uh, environments and integration in the cloud. When we talk about short span networks, uh, but also we have an R&D team Similar to the Center for Quantum Computing, but for networking that are, that are working in, in prototypes and are doing R&D work on longer networks that span bigger distances. That's in a nutshell. <laughs> yeah, great. You know, lots of things to dive into there. I guess, first of all, a quantum computer, superconducting quantum computer. I didn't know that you guys were developing something there, so that's pretty exciting. Yeah. Um, it's pretty cool. Yeah. It's very interesting technology, I'd say. I'm hoping that one day we'll be able to, we will be able to to put it out there. The, the blueprint is there already. There's a is a hundred pages paper that explains exactly what's our idea for it, and it's available for for if available for people to see, and maybe one day will be part of, of bracket as well. Right, very good. Yeah. So with bracket, I, I understand you're leveraging the best of the cloud. You're providing what I would call like a middleware between the user the developer and, and the computer, you're democratizing the access to it. Um, what, what does Bracket do on top of that? Is, does it have its own coding language? I believe it, isn't it? Is there some? Right. Yeah. In order to make it easy for people to use, we don't want them to learn a different language for each computer. 
right? That is sometimes one of the, the things that stop adoption. Uh, I have to learn a, a whole new language if I work with this vendor or that vendor. So what we do is to unify everything in the Amazon bracket language that is Python based. And basically, if you are dealing, for example, with, with circuit-based or universal gates type of quantum computer, you basically can change your endpoint and, and see how the, the other device behaves for the same circuit without having to change anything else. And, and that's handy. And on top of that, we offer simulators as well. So you can uh, tune the noise if you want, add in noise or re remove noise. You, you have... Um, various types of, of simulations you can do before you jump into the actual real device. And all that, as, as I said, is with the, with the same code as long as the technology supports it. Got it. Super. Hey, I'm sure we could talk about Bracket for the whole call, but I know that's, we are, we're here to talk about networking. So let's get into that. I, I know we've got three or four topics that we wanted to cover. Let's start with the first one. What is your team doing when it comes to networking quantum state over a a network. What, why is that important to you? Why are you looking at it? And what have you got in the skunk work, so to speak, that you can talk about? Yeah, it's a very rich, interesting topic. To answer the first question, why we are getting into quantum networks and investigating them, it's because we believe there are more secure ways of communication, looking into the future on what is coming in the technology and how the existing uh, encryption mechanisms m might be <clears throat> under, under the risk of being threatened by the new quantum computers that hopefully one day will exist. And we have a, a dedicated uh, team in AWS, the, the cryptography team, that is working very hard on post-quantum cryptography type of algorithms that basically use uh, more complex mathematical problems uh, to make sure that we create uh, cipher suites that are that are quantum safe, as, as, as they are usually called. But the focus of my team is on the, in the hardware layer, uh, on trying to use the, the properties of quantum mechanics to ensure that the, the link is protected um, in a way that do not depend on computational complexity of an attack, but just the, taking advantage of the, the properties of quantum mechanics and the properties of light. So on that line, we, we have two main teams. One of them is working on quantum key distribution. That is where my, most of my focus is. And we basically want to test the existing commercial off-the-shelf boxes that exist today in the market and that people can buy and try and see how do they perform, how do they compare to each other, and how could they potentially get integrated into the cloud. And that's an, an exciting uh, line of, of work. Um, the rest of the team is the purely hardcore R&D team that are working in networks that are more advanced, more complex, but also more difficult to implement. We have a team based in Boston, and we have an agreement, a collaboration agreement with Harvard University to work in, in, in building a quantum repeater or, or a quantum memory that is basically going to allow to, to make long-distance communications with this possible. And that's the other part of, the, of what my team does in the Center for Quantum Networking. Yeah, that's a lot going on. So let's start with the other part of the team, first of all, that you mentioned doing the hardcore um, networking, as you put it. I guess the purpose of that is to eventually enable customers to get to the cloud over longer distances, perhaps. But what is it they're doing with the repeater? They're developing something from scratch or are they putting something together? 
It's devised based on the properties of silicon vacancies on diamond, which basically allow to retain the state of, of the photon long enough to be able to extend the distribution of this state to a longer distance, or at least duplicate at the very least what QKD is capable by itself. QKD is a point-to-point -point type of protocol and technology, and what we are trying to do is to extend that. Um, it's a challenging task, obviously. There are making good progress and the, one of the requirements is that it still requires very low temperatures, so same as in with quantum computers. For that reason, being able to create such a repeater in a very uh, repeatable way, if I can use the word like that, or a scalable way is a challenge because basically you cannot put a dilution refrigerator in every 100 kilometers or so or in a submarine cable or things like that today. That's the main challenge. So the main focus, well, one of the focus of their investigation is to actually try to make these things more more portable in the future deployable to create that, the quantum internet, if we want to call it that way, that we all want. You mentioned silicon vacancy. The only other type of diamond modality that I've heard about is a nitrogen vacancy. Do you know that obviously there's a different element in there? And I think the nitrogen vacancy ones don't be call it than with a refrigerator. Is that main? Do you know the differences between the two? No, I only know that it's related to scalability and the choice of using silicon over nitrogen when we want to do many of them. Uh, but I don't not not intimately familiar with the differences or other challenges on actually building the technology with one or the other. Unfortunately, yeah. Oh, I, every time I have a conversation with somebody, I end up with multiple things I need to study afterwards. I think that's that's what I'm taking okay. away today. Hey, let's move on to your domain. Um, in terms of QKD, what's the overall strategy there? And obviously, you're a very customer centric organization, so I imagine you start from the customer and work your way in. So this must be driven towards connectivity to the cloud, is that right? That's right, yeah. We want to see, we're in gathering data mode uh, at this point. We want to see what customers want to do with this, listening to the different use cases and how are they going to use it. And we want to start to to help uh, the people who, who know about this to interact with these customers and see what are the issues they run into, what are the challenges of the implementation, and try to learn as much as possible for it. Because that's going to allow us in the future to define our strategy in terms of do we want to offer QKD within AWS natively or, or we want to continue building this network of, of customers doing this. It's, it's important for us at the moment to know how it's being used. And, and that's the main part of my work and why I'm starting to work with various partners that are helping us to get there. So I'm picturing a lab with loads of different QKD devices um, and... <laughs> It's a simulation and testing equipment. Uh, and, you and might not be too, 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 too far <laughs> wrong on that. Yeah, you might not be too wrong on that. Yeah. We, we want to see how they operate and, and so on. Uh, yeah, we are definitely testing them. But the most important, we could be doing things in a, inside our room in a lab all day long, and that's definitely useful. But there is nothing like the, the customer feedback to learn about really the implementation of, of a product in, in real life and see how that integration in the cloud, especially the integration with the rest of the AWS uh, services, will give us the, the most uh, valuable information. And that's what I focus most most of my time on talking to those customers and, and the partners that are helping us. Okay, so look, I know that 
I know a little bit about the AWS cloud architecture and the fact you've got data centers, regions all over the globe, and people need to connect to those regions somehow if they want to have a dedicated link. Uh, you mentioned earlier on QKD is the point-to-point -point technology. And what I wanted to get to was how do those two things link together? I would guess if you were thinking about offering a QKD protected service at some point in the future, then the customer is going to have to host the opposite end of their QKD link in a, in your data center or in the data center where your, your cloud is hosted or nearby or whatever it is, the right architecture, but it's going beyond needing just an IP connection, right? You need to have the quantum state transferred across the network and then to be able to calculate the keys and so on. Could you That's elaborate right. on that? Yeah, yeah. That's the most obvious use case, right? If you want to bring this technology close to the cloud, taking into consideration that it's basically a layer two, it's a very physical level technology, you need to start operating in, in the data center. The Direct Connect service of AWS is probably the, the most obvious choice here because that allows us to get very close to our customers. In a typical Direct Connect facility or colocation facility, there will be a an AWS rack with an AWS router and maybe two rows down the street on that data center will be a, a customer or partner router that is hosting a, a QKD link all the way to the customer offices or whatever data they want to protect on their premises, right? And what we are trying to do in with a couple of partners and, and the most obvious solution is to basically link those two things together. Um, obviously, we do not support in AWS QKD natively today. There is no a series of uh, QKD boxes that can be linked together uh, all the way to the cloud. But but there are solutions that we can put together in order to offer a quantum-resistant end-to-end um, -end link or connection if we if we use uh, post-quantum cryptography, right? The, the protocols that I was using before. First of all, to talk about the, the QKD part only, a customer might have um, already several buildings or several offices connected with these links. As I said, they are point to point. So there's an option to link them together using what is called a, a trusted node configuration. And that allows you to, to protect, uh, extend the, dis the distance as well, and go all the way to the data center. And from there, we, we have the choice or the customer has the choice to, to get a, a standard cross-connect connection with direct connect and connect to an AWS region and protect that part of the connection with post-quantum cryptography with, with these quantum safe protocols. And that way we are generating keys on, on one side that are QKD keys and transporting them all the way to the cloud using a PQC. So they get the protection end-to-end. -end. This is not something that it's uh, out and available today, but it's an, an interesting area that we are uh, investigating with our partners and, and customers. Uh, we hope to to be able to get it done uh, soon as, as a first step of integration. Yeah, it's an interesting hybrid model to try and connect the end-to-end -end in a more secure, quantum-safe way. I had somebody earlier on, uh, an anecdote about people often seeing QKD and PQC as competing. But actually, when you think about it, when you think about the hybrid architectures, there's going to be scenarios like this where they're kind of complementary to each other and uh, um, right. in this case the QKD has a distance limitation and it has a, a media limitation but ultimately you want to use the keys providing they are 
renewing themselves frequently enough, you want to be able to use them into the rest in the rest of the cloud environment. Right. Uh, yeah. yeah, you can think about it in, in the defense in depth uh, terms uh, as another layer of, of protection, right? Uh, something that you can add to PQC to, to get a, an, an extra layer of security. Uh, and obviously, the, the state of the devices is not something that allows to be implemented in data centers all over the world and uh, that, that easily. They are still, the standards are being defined. There's not a, a clear definition on how these things um, should work, or at least not something that every single vendor is very clear on how to follow or, or how to implement. There are some conversations going on right now on how those standards should look like, but it still is some work to, some path to walk there, to get there. Oh, for sure. Especially when it comes to the QKD hardware, that's going to be very bespoke across right. every vendor right now. There's a lot of different technologies, right? And so we work with uh, some of the vendors that are using continuous variables, others use discrete variables. So that the way in which you treat the light in order to create your key material, it can be very different depending on the, on the implementation of QKD. Uh, but uh, at the end of the day, what you get is key material that is completely quantum in nature. That is what everyone wants. Okay. So the... The next topic is, is a follow-on, really. I, I know that uh, in the AWS cloud architecture, you have plenty of, I'll call them edge nodes. I think it started with Outpost as basically the on-prem cloud-managed infrastructure. And there are others of different sc uh, scale and, and scope. Does this fit into the offering that you're going to be building, you think, as a way to provide off-the-shelf quantum, safe remote compute or on-prem com compute? Yeah, this is out there, actually. Uh, we had a partnership with uh, Spectral, that is a startup in, in Singapore. Their main focus is in satellite uh, QKD, but they are also getting into the terrestrial QKD. And, and they have been the first partner working with us to offer this solution using edge devices, which is nothing but a, but a small version of the cloud in, in a box that is ruggedized and that you can go and take anywhere, right? This is very useful for certain environments where there's a rough environment or where you don't have an easy access to to the cloud, uh, but you still want to get the same experience, being able to launch for those familiar with AWS, your EC2 instances and S3 buckets and all those nice terms that it, cloud developers want. And at the same time, being able to use those devices as the endpoint of a quantum protected link, right? If we use QKD and we have a point-to-point -point network protected by QKD, you can use these devices to put them at the ends, at both ends of the connection and being able to launch your client server application or whatever it's, it matters to you using QKD. It's an easy way to start testing the technology in a very safe environment. And it's also it's a, an easy entry point. That is what this probably this solution is. The main feature of it is that it's very easy to order a, a snowball or a snow cone or, or an outpost server, as you were mentioning. <clears throat> And, and start testing the, the link that you build with, with QKD. Yeah, it fits very well. I see that. It's a bit uh, simpler okay. than, than going to direct connect directly and having a, a presence in the data center that requires a little bit more, it's more involved, that type of work. But the snowball or device is, is much easier to, to implement than, than the other one. Yeah, I guess you're still going to need the QKD endpoint in the data center somewhere, right? Do you know if you'll be hosting those in the future or I guess you'll have a few, <laughs> all the options on the table. 
there's no plans for that as far as i know <laughs> it's at the moment as i said we want to see how it's being done uh, by others and we are supporting the people who does this which in this in this business to see how could be implemented with customers yeah. okay so another train of thought i had was around the the keys that are generated let's say there's a qkd link for a particular customer the keys are generated and handed into the AWS cloud. There's obviously key management software. When it comes to the rest of the cloud infrastructure and any of your applications, they don't know that it's a quantum generated key, I guess. It's just something that's generated locally and then it right. looks like any other key, right? That's a possible implementation, yeah. You could basically connect two QKD boxes together, start producing key material, and then you can feed that key material into a network device. A link encryptor is, is usually called, but it has many names depending on the layer they operate, but let's call it a link encryptor that supports and understands these quantum sources to create keys. There are more and more vendors that are starting to support this form of key material. And what you do then is to create a VPN at that level or an IPsec mm -hmm. tunnel between the two devices. Once you have that, it's basically a matter of plugging your endpoints on that device. And then when you run your applications at whatever OSI layer that you want, uh, you are starting to consume in the keys that are provided to you by the, by the fact that you are in a VPN, uh, but the endpoints do not need to know that the source is a quantum source, right? And that makes it an, inter an integration with the cloud very seamless, very natural. The, the difficult part is to put those hardware boxes, the QKD boxes in the right places. Yeah, and I guess because the key management can then be owned by the customers, so you maintain your AWS cloud security model where it's up to the customer to manage their end-to-end -end security and you guys own the infrastructure underneath. Um, That's right. That still fits very well with that. There's no need to change that. The key management is important. You might have even QKD boxes from different vendors. Obviously, a pair is going to be always from the same vendor, right? Alice and Bob, they need to be from the same manufacturer. Otherwise, this doesn't work. <laughs> but after that, you can basically, in theory, link other devices from other vendors and do this trusted node configuration that I was talking about before. And if you have a good key management software uh, as an overlay on top of it, uh, you should be able to transfer keys in a safe way from devices that are not necessarily from the same vendor. Um, that's a part that we are not directly involved in at the moment, but obviously very interested on investigating and test as well with people who does this. Yeah. So seeing as that you guys are in the, the test and research phase still and just familiarizing yourself with the different products on the market, I wouldn't ask you to do any comparison or anything, but have you got any view on trends or perhaps common behaviors that you're seeing among different QKD systems, things that you like, things that you don't like? Yeah. As you said, is is still way early, and I will be doing a unfair comparison for sure because I don't know all the details of of it. What I'm very clear about is that some of these conversations are started to to be very like the, the mainstream. I'm thinking on protocols like Etsy zero fourteen. That is one that is being implemented by almost every vendor that I've talked to. And if I can write my letter to Santa Claus on that, it would be like every single vendor complies to the letter with Etsy 014 is mandating. 
because that will make the future integrations much easier. But that on, on itself is a, an unfair statement for them, right? For the hardware vendors, because sometimes there are things or running conditions that are not uh, necessarily mm, defined uh, very specifically. So there is certain room for implementation in the implementation of the protocol uh, that can vary from one vendor to the other. And that's still being, being discussed and, and being defined. Hopefully that's more or less the answer to your question, but probably it's, I didn't give you exactly what you were asking for. <laughs> no, that's fine. So that's the authentication. That's as political as I can go. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm pushing you. I, I appreciate <laughs> that. Are you, are you checking things like key rate and Low looking rate, at effectiveness? Yeah. Yeah. That's right. And you see any trends there? Yeah. Or are they all in a good place in terms of performance and... Yeah. Or is there Verified. a big, are there two different areas of, of device type or are they all meeting in one particular threshold, if you like? Right, no, there there are pros and cons which each implementation of, of QKD, right? I was mentioning before continuous variables versus discrete variables. Oh, the key rates in some cases are higher than in other cases, but the tolerance to noise and using existing telecom, uh, telco fibers is, is better in one case that in the other. So it's a trade-off. It's, it's a little bit the same thing that happens with quantum computer gates, right? As sometimes the fidelity, it varies with the, and the execution time varies with the device. Here is a little bit of the same. You might choose um, a device that gives you maybe shorter distances to, to put two links together before you start losing too much uh, or seeing too much attenuation on your con connection. But however, your key rate might be very good. And you can see the, the opposite as well, right? You can go for a much longer distance, uh, but maybe your key rates are lower. Got it. Yeah. Like a lot of quantum technology, it's a very fine, delicate balance. Maybe not so much in the networking space as it is in computing, but still you've got to worry about coherence times. You've got to worry about noise and so on. Right. And, and there are many implementations of it, right? And, and we haven't tested them all. And uh, there are still things that I was still like to get my hands dirty with. Uh, so I'm, I'm talking about continuous variables and discrete variables, but there's just two different classifications on how to s slice this cake of QKD implementations, right? We have the, the measure device independent option as well that adds an extra layer of security by the way it's designed. And there's not necessarily the option to implement BB84. That is the, the most common protocol for QKD. You can implement other protocols and there are some areas that I haven't explored yet, and I'm definitely interested on in checking. I'm pretty sure my team is as well to see. For our purposes, meaning AWS supporting this one day, or how customers are using it for the workloads that we care, what will be the best one of all of them? Or what we will need to, how do you say, to opt out in, in order to gain something better? Yeah, I think you're in a strong position as well to influence the direction of how things develop, especially in the standard uh, domain. I know you guys are active in Etsy, but also as a key customer, probably, or at least partner to the QKD manufacturers, then uh, they'll, they need to sit up and listen to any kind of uh, outputs that you have from this program in due course. Yeah, you're right. We have people in who's part of Etsy. You are totally right on that. Uh, our approach here is to just bring our data and not try to influence in one, one way or another because 
we, we want to be part of the conversation and not to impose uh, a certain way of doing things. We aim to, to bring our data, what we are seeing with customers, and that on itself should be useful to, to define how the protocols are going to look like. Right? That's the purpose. I've got to ask you about entanglement. Are, are all of the systems you've looked at entanglement based or are, are most of them prepare and measure? Because that, that's the big difference in the way that these systems are working yep. right, on paper. Yeah. Most of the, the, the ones we work with are prepare and measured as the, the top uh, key uh, quantum key distribution boxes out there are based on prepare and measure. And that's basically how BBN works, doesn't it? It's in terms of that is exactly re right. receiving the photons and then making the calculations at both ends based on the messaging of which ones you received and which ones you didn't receive and, and so on. That's correct. Yeah. If you go usually at 3% of errors, you consider that as an attack or an eavesdropping. And, and then you consider that that key material is not usable and you start over again. Okay. Thank you, Juan. So a bit more about key management. I know I'm jumping about a bit. I've got a habit of doing that. I know that you guys are looking at something around centralizing key management. Uh, you must, you have a key management application in the cloud already, right? Hmm. Are you looking at how multiple QKD systems in a customer can be managed and telemetry can be captured as well as key management? Hmm. No. So integrating this with our KMS system is today completely out of scope, right? Uh, the team is working on supporting, and I believe they already support some of the uh, PQC classical uh, cipher suites in, in KMS. Uh, but we are not getting into the business of, of trying to be offer key management for various vendors, various hardware vendors. But what we do, and it's relatively straightforward integration, is to extract the useful information from the key management system and the monitoring systems of these uh, QKD devices into a visualization layer that customers can see. And it's very easy to implement in the cloud. We have another partnership with LuxQuanta that is one of the QKD vendors that are actually working with us uh, on this and they will very soon be offering this solution to their customers. Basically it's a matter of bringing all the key metrics of how your key is used, key buffers, um, um, key rates, errors, and, and all this useful stuff into a front-end that customers can consume. It can be a Kibana-based database or Grafana-based sorry, Grafana -based database or visualization layer with time log series and a, a database for logs as well to analyze those logs. And it's this is very easy to integrate in the cloud because at this point, number one, there is no more a secret information that needs to be protected. This is the control plane. So it's nothing that, not, nothing secret on itself. And number two, it's very easy to integrate in the cloud. We have many years of experience of building resilient uh, applications that scale uh, and that provide that seamless um, experience for, for the customer. They will have a, a dashboard where you can see everything that is going on on your system and then you can analyze logs and see what's going on. That's something that is more classical in nature, but the information comes from a quantum. Yeah, of course, once you've pulled the telemetry and then you can do whatever you want with it and uh, anything that you can do to make, I suppose, the AWS cloud more attractive for people to, to consume is, is what it's all about. 
<laughs> as you can see, all I'm trying to do here is to go around and get as close as I can of from the cloud as the technology allows me to do today. Right? Allows of course. Us to do today. Yeah. And this is a, ver a very nice way because, yeah, it's a natural fit. <laughs> Excellent. Thank you for all of that. I guess just looking forward a bit in terms of AWS strategy or goals that you have personally with this technology, what's the next six, 12, 24 months hold for you, do you think, um, that you can share with the audience? Sure thing. So it's in the name of my title, right? Trying to be a, a, a technology advocate. Uh, I want people to understand what are the benefits of using this technology. I want to keep explaining what are the difference between PQC and QKD and wh what benefits it bring. If I'm placing myself or envisioning myself uh, one year from now, I'd like to have a lot of companies that have come with us to the edge, either in direct connect facility or using the, the edge devices. And they are testing it. They are pushing the limits of the technology, defining the standards. And we have a lot of valuable data for us to decide what's going to happen next in two years, three years time from now. How are we going to use this technology and tr keep innovating on the name of the customer, basically. And in terms of getting closer to the quantum computing part of AWS, does that fall more into the repeater and quantum memories development uh, that the rest of the team are doing? That's a natural use case for quantum repeaters. Yeah. The um, entanglement distribution that, that is based on that technology is, is a natural fit for things like private computing and, and things like that, that will ensure that, that you can use quantum computers and connect quantum computers with each other in using also quantum technologies. For QKD, there's also potential integrations, right? But they are not different to what we have discussed today, right? Treating that quantum computer just as another endpoint that is going to be sending data somewhere. And we have some interesting things there uh, we are working on, but it's still... Great. Oh, that's great. Maybe we can have you back in a year or so to talk about some of these things. I'd love that. <laughs> and uh, me too. Yeah, definitely interested to, to hear some more about your repeater in due course as well. So listen, one final topic, an open-ended one about academia and, and open source. Are there any projects that you're tracking or involved in, or perhaps that your colleagues are involved in that you're particularly excited about and would like to share? Don't know much in terms of involvement, but things that I am particularly like try to read and, and I find fascinating. It's all about, for example, the OpenQKD project that is aimed to create and extend a secure communication network based on in Europe. That's a, a pretty, pretty cool project. But also there are, for people to try at home, let's say, there are tools like the QKD SIM that allows the simulation of, of various QKD protocols. And so that's something that people can, can go and check. Libraries that are also out there. The Q Crypto is a library in Python that is open source and basically allows you to understand the principles of QKD. This has been super useful for me to, to wrap my head around some of the concepts in a very practical way. In a more general term, I'm particularly fascinated about satellite QKD. It's not something that we are uh, heavily involved today, but just because of our partnership with the Spectral, I, I get to learn a lot about it. And there is a lot of uh, work out there on space-based QKD, global secure communications. This is following the experiment that the Chinese did with the Misius satellite that you, I'm pretty sure you know about. 
Yeah, I find that whole topic really interesting. It intersects with some of my work at Cisco, also in the Leo space. And yeah, a combination of the two technologies is pretty fascinating. In fact, there's been lots of satellites launched and tests ongoing and plans in the pipe. It's amazing that they can hold a single photon source over that kind of distance. Even with a, a static satellite, it's just, it's just amazing. And then when you think about the speeds they're traveling in Leo or beyond, then it's just amazing that technology can work. Right. When it comes to entanglement distribution, and uh, uh, that's obviously a great place to do it from because of the distances you can get and uh, with things like um, phase stabilization and stuff and all the different error correction that can be built into the forwarding of Earth's photons over free space optics. And you, uh, yeah, super interesting domain. It's a Just matter of the infrastructure to mature, right? And being able to implement these things at the scale. That's what we all want, I think, for this type of technology. You, hey, maybe we should do a quantum satellite discussion at some point in the future as well. Oh my, I know a couple of people that in, in my team that would be very pleased to, to chat about that. Uh, it's, it's fascinating to talk to them, to be honest. They, they are the real experts on this and you can see that a sparkle on, on their eyes when they talk about it. And that's always very, I don't know, to <laughs> me, it's very refreshing to see people that really what they do and, yeah. and they are experts on their field, obviously. Yeah, excellent. Okay. One thing I've got to mention because you spoke about QKD simulator or kind of open QKD model. Just, you may not already know, but my colleague, Steve, who normally runs this uh, podcast with me, he's developed QNet lab, which is a quantum network simulator fairly recently. So you should check that out. We're going to probably the next uh, episode or the one after that, we're going to do a session talking about that. So oh, nice. keep Looking your eyes peeled. And, I wasn't aware. Yeah. Yeah. And happy to have a follow-up call with you. That. But anyway, we're going off topic <laughs> again, as I often do. Uh, this it's is us, right. and thank you very much. Fantastic conversation, and uh, covered some great ground there. Let's let's reconnect at some point, and for now, I'll say goodbye. Thanks very much, Dan. Thanks for having me. I'd like to take this moment to thank you for listening to the podcast. Quantum networking is such a broad domain, especially considering the breadth of quantum physics and quantum computing, all as an undercurrent, easily to get sucked into. So much is still in the research realm, uh, which can make it really tough for a curious IT guy to know where to start. So hit subscribe or follow me on your podcast platform, and I'll do my best to bring you more prevalent topics in the world of quantum networking. Spread the word, it would really help us out.